What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And in this episode, we are going to answer a distress call from deep in space from the USG Ishimura as we look into my review of Dead Space. Brace yourselves. I'm going to smash us into the hull. Falling apart here. Hey, Isaac. You coming? Where is everybody? Up there! No! This transformation. Before we jump into the details of this game's story, let's take a few minutes to talk about some details that you may not have known about the game or its developer in The Breakdown. When looking back at the origins of the Dead Space franchise, it was really interesting to me to find out where the inspiration came from, whether it be from movies or previous games in the survival horror genre. And Glenn Schofield, who is the co-creator of the Dead Space franchise, he has since obviously gone on to create and produce the Callisto Protocol most recently, which is a spiritual successor to the Dead Space series. But when it came time to pitch this idea to EA, Electronic Arts, way back in the day before the 2008 release of the original game, there was a specific idea that the team had in mind, and they knew they wanted to do survival horror in space, which was something that really hadn't been tapped into yet in the gaming scene. So when it came time to do that, they really were taking inspirations from Alien and Event Horizon, those two sci-fi horror movies that are eponymous with sci-fi horror, and really... I mean, sets the bar for anyone trying to do something within that genre and subgenre. So when it came time to set that game in space, then it was about the story. And they knew they wanted to have an everyman as the character, not some kind of super soldier, and therefore became the birth of Isaac Clarke. And the story started out a little bit different. It was interesting. The title of the game did not always start out as Dead Space. It initially was called Rancid Moon, and it was also... Uh, very similarly and interestingly enough to me in doing this research, essentially looks like what turned into the Callisto Protocol story, or some of it anyways. The initial premise was that there was a, a moon 
that has this prison set on it where the inmates kind of go crazy or get possessed. And there is a innocent ship that kind of gets stuck in the middle on crash lands and things go from bad to worse. Well, a lot of those aspects are in the Callisto Protocol, but that is very much not what happens in Dead Space. Now, the themes of possession and other things, you can see little drips of those throughout different themes that are within Dead Space, like the marker and the unitology, religion, and things of that nature. But very interesting to me that a lot of the beginnings of Dead Space, where it started, where it ended up being, and what became of Callisto Protocol. Now... Let's get to the details of this game's story. The year is 2508 and humanity has wiped out and used up all resources available to sustain life on Earth. It is now at this point that the Earth's governments pull together and create the Concordance Extraction Corporation. And this CEC is known as a company that has created flagship lines of planet-cracking ships. That what they do is they literally crack a planet and mine its resources to come back and bring to humanity so that we may continue to survive. Now, it's kind of messed up if you ask me, just kind of sending ships out throughout the galaxy and destroying, essentially, or, or draining dry all these other planets so that we can live. But that is the future that Dead Space presents for us in the year 2508. And the CEC is a company that protagonist Isaac Clark works for, the player control protagonist who we will spend the entirety of this game playing as. And Isaac Clark, he's just a miner. He goes from place to place and job to job and does what he needs to do. He's very well suited for what he is responsible for accomplishing. His wife also works for the CEC, and she is actually a doctor. And she's actually stationed on the CEC's flagship, the USG Ishimura. It's the largest planet-cracking ship, and it's the most renowned, and it's been around the longest, and it just has this reputation about it. So at the beginning of the game, we see that both Isaac and Nicole, his wife, have been separated for at least six months at this point. And they've been communicating via video chatting and whatnot through this time. But you can tell there's a certain strain on the relationship. But there is a call that comes out from the USG Ishimura, a distress call somewhat, that is cause for alarm, obviously, for Isaac. So he and a crew set out to go investigate what's going on at the USG Ishimura. Well, as soon as they enter the atmosphere above the planet that they were cracking, they can tell that something is not right. The lights aren't on for the ship. They aren't answering any hails from the ship that Isaac is on as they approach. Nicole is not responding to Isaac as well. So it's very eerie and very unsettling, especially for Isaac, knowing that that is where his wife is supposed to be, and he's hoping that she's safe, everything's okay. Well, as they continue to proceed closer to the ship, they line themselves up to try and dock into the Ishimura's docking bay. Well... Let's just say that that does not go as planned, and after a crash landing into the docking bay, from that point on, things get pretty insane. And as we go through the story, I don't want to continue to tell every little detail, but as you go throughout the story, there is a lot going on here in the lore and the background of not just this Dead Space entry, but Dead Space as a franchise as a whole. If you haven't played the previous games, then I would love to fill you in on that lore. And what that is, is basically... There is an artifact or a relic known as a marker. 
And this marker has multiple different types of colors, and each color kind of affects humans in different ways. It was known to be an alien artifact that was found as a planet cracker was basically drilling through a planet and stumbled upon this marker. And essentially what this marker does is it affects people as far as their sanity, as far as visions and doing things or causing them to do things they would not normally do. Essentially causing them to go insane, either to kill themselves or to kill those around them, and therefore allow different infections to get into them from the marker and therefore spread from there on. And it's during this spread and during this experimentation that was going on as well on the Ishimura, we get the enemy types in the game, which are called necromorphs. And these things are pretty intense. They obviously all used to be, for the most part, humans that all transformed in different ways. Some had giant claw-looking spears come out of the ba- out of their backs on either side of their shoulders. Others, they turned into hulking monstrosities. You have some that are just nothing but left but muscle tissue. And then there's other mutations that go even a level further. So as Isaac explores the ship and he's seeing the remnants of what has happened there and why he's discovering why these things happened, it's really extremely entertaining. And the whole time, he's getting messages still from Nicole saying that she is there on the ship and she's doing other things in the background supposedly to help Isaac and eventually hopefully they will meet up and escape the ship and get back to safety. Well, there's a lot of twists and turns in the story and even though it is a remake of the original game, which I did play and complete way back in the day in 2008 upon its original release, there are some differences in the story that I really enjoyed and some expansion on the story. Namely, the the first thing has to be said that in the original game, Isaac Clarke was a silent protagonist, and that was very popular back in the day. It, it's still you can still see that happening now. I'm not saying that it's not in existence anymore, but it was more prominent back then. I feel like at least now you can actually have a voice that you select for your character or whatnot. But Isaac Clarke was a silent protagonist, so we never got the really. Outside of some grunts and groans and cries out when he's stomping and curb stomping enemies or getting hit by enemies, we never heard his actual voice. So EA Motive, who is the developer on this game, has given him a voice and quite a few lines of dialogue and therefore a personality in this game and this version of this game and this story. And I loved it. I was curious how I was going to react to it based when I first heard that there was going to be a, a a voice as well as a facial likeness because that was another thing about that first game and even the series itself, the first three games in that series, the original three, Dead Space 1, 2, and 3, you never saw Isaac's face. He'd take his helmet off and they kind of tease, kind of like they've always done with Master Chief in the Halo series, but you never actually saw his face. Well, immediately in this game, you see his face. And I love the fact that you were actually able to see and hear Isaac Clark because it did add a different layer to him that wasn't there before. Now, don't get me wrong. I always really enjoyed the character of Isaac Clark back in the day, but I grew to be even more connected or feel more connected to him in this entry. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he has a face and a voice. So we actually get to see the emotion or hear the emotion when he's talking about Nicole and you get to see different aspects of their relationship before, during, and after what is going on here play out. 
Now, another big piece to the story here is unitology. And unitology is a religious following or a religious group that is very prominent, it would seem, in this current timeline and especially with the CEC. And it almost one would be led to believe is a company that's being ran by unitologists. And they can come across almost fanatical in the way that they preach and profess their beliefs. Well, let's just say that unitology plays a massive role in what happens throughout the course of Dead Space, and it's got a lot of lore to it as well, and there's a lot of backstory there and a lot of other fleshing out of that that they can do, hopefully in future remakes. But man, uh, between the unitology, the marker, which unitology, they worship the marker, there, there's just so much going on there that was just really, really good. And you get this story delivered to you, not just in cutscenes and dialogue exchanges. You have, whether it's just purely audio or video feeds that come in through the rig, which is the outfit that Isaac wears as you're exploring the Ishimura. You have constant communication between your crew that you land with in the Ishimura, as well as Nicole and other members that were potentially still on the good or bad side of the Ishimura crew that you meet along your way. So you have those conversations that are playing out. There are a ton of audio logs, text logs, just a massive amount. I mean, there's a trophy for collecting 150 logs. So that tells you there is over 150 logs in the game. Just a lot of content there to absorb and to take in. And I would recommend as much as you can seeking them out and it really helps flesh out the backstory there's one thing they didn't have in the original that i love they added to this one that helps to continue to flesh out the story even more which are basically scenes that you can have replayed out for you they were recorded moments in time that if you choose to play the scene there is a camera in the room that will play back as a hologram what happened in that room and the audio and the video everything will play out and act out in front of you that also helped to add to it now one thing that ea motive had said before the release of the game they were going to add and help kind of flesh out the story here were side missions or side quests and those absolutely do again i would recommend doing them first off they're very interesting and secondly they give you access to a a lot of good loot and certain upgrades that you may not have access to otherwise. So I would recommend it from that standpoint, but also if you're like me and you want to know every little last detail about the Ishimura, about its past, present, about the markers and different lore behind it, as well as unitology. Oh man, there's just so much there and it's so good. And a lot of the stories of what was happening with the crew on the Ishimura because essentially what happens is they found a marker and that marker got brought on board the ship and things went south from there. So you can imagine there's a lot going on there and it's just really interesting to hear how they were reacting and receiving and processing things as they were happening once that marker was brought onto the Ishimura. So I absolutely loved the story in this game. I loved the characters. I loved the pacing of it. I loved the way it was laid out. I loved the just every aspect of it is all I can say. I can't say enough good about the story in this game. And even though I played the original game, it was almost 15 years ago, but I still remembered a lot of the key aspects of the story. But I got to tell you, this is like I had never played this game before. Sure, again key aspects, key plot points were still there, but there was enough newness here and it was just, it was so fresh and so enjoyable to experience from beginning to end. 
again, there's some really interesting twists here. The ending, mm, good stuff. There is an alternate ending that you can unlock if you play the game on uh, New Game Plus. So a lot, a lot to absorb here and a lot to be excited about because it's really, really good stuff to absorb. So excellent story, characters, everything. Now let's go see what my thoughts were on the graphics and sound. When we take a look at the graphics and sound, first I'm going to start with the graphics. And as I break down the visuals in the game, I'm going to start first with character models. Now, for those of you who have played Dead Space, the original back in 2008, I mean, back then that game looked phenomenal for the time. And I would say it's really no different with this game. The remake has done an amazing job of actually rebuilding Isaac Clarke, the suit of the rig itself, as well as the USG Ishimura, pound for pound, pixel for pixel. I mean, it's just completely redone and is absolutely gorgeous. So when we look at the character model of Isaac Clarke and we look at that rig, I mean, man, it, it's such an iconic suit that you have to get it right. You can't stray too far from what it looked like in that original game, especially considering that in Dead Space 2 and 3, it, it very much in 3, kind of steered away from what the basic beauty of that original rig suit was. And I think the EA Motive gets that, and that's why in this game they did an amazing job of recreating that rig and updating it for a modern time. Now, I will say that the rig is not just one base-looking suit. You do get to upgrade the suit over the course of your game if you find the schematic for the suit's upgrades. There are multiple levels. There is an uh, intermediate level, an advanced level, and if you get all those, it does things like add inventory slots, increase your health, so on and so forth. And I absolutely loved, personally, more than anything, except maybe the inventory slots, the visual differences that each upgrade to the suit gave that suit. Every time, there would just be a little bit more detail, a little bit more added to the suit in different areas and in different ways. Even the mask and the helmet was just a little bit shaped differently or had different edge cuts around it. I mean, it was just, and every time that you got an upgrade to the suit, it was awesome. You're at the shop and you have to purchase it from the shop. You can't just have the schematics and build it. You have to pay for it. And these things are pretty expensive. So make sure to have some good credits on hand. But the point is, it's really cool visually to see Isaac step into the shop, uh, kiosk and it's almost like a changing room if you will but the doors close and there's all these like mechanical movements and lights flashing in the background and you can hear like the welding sounds and then he steps out in this cool smoke and there's really epic music playing in the background it's just done really well and I, I really nerded out over it every time I got an upgrade. I was so excited every time I found a new schematic for the next upgrade of the rig. So visually Isaac Clark, I mean man, they nailed that look of that suit. In addition to that, as I said, you actually get to see Isaac's face in this game. And I know there was some funny stuff online before the game released about, oh, he looks like Adam Sandler. And, you know, in that screenshot, I will not deny that he definitely does look like a younger Adam Sandler. But once you get into the game, in my personal opinion, as he's moving around, talking, and just in general, I didn't really think that it was as close as that screenshot comparison looked. So if you're worried about that, like, oh, man, I'm going to be playing as Adam Sandler... Nah, it's not like that. It actually, he is his own character, and I really appreciated the, the look they had for him. So the human face 
look of Isaac Clark is done really well. I won't say the details are insane because I have played more recent games like it's spiritual success to the Callisto Protocol. And man, <laughs> the details in Jacob Lee's face. I talked about it in my review. Uh, they are not on that same level with Dead Space and the character models, but the character models are great. I won't take anything away from what they've done with Dead Space and the characters within the game. Because it's not just Isaac Clarke. He obviously flies to the Ishimura with a crew, and that crew is also well-designed. They have their own rigs, and you get to see them when you're having video chats with them, and they pop up through the rig's camera system, and you get to see them up close and personal, and just, in general, other characters you meet throughout the course of your journey and exploration of the Ishimura. There is plenty of different characters. They all are very well-defined and very much differentiated one from another. So they did a great job, EA Motive, of really making each character have their own visual identity and doing a great job of making them look great. Now, when we move on past character models, I got to talk about not just the character models themselves, but the animations that they exude. Now, when you're walking through and exploring the Ishimura or trying to fight off necromorphs and the animations of shooting and firing your weapons and whatnot, all that is done really smoothly, really well. There's really no stiffness of character movement of Isaac specifically to talk about. I didn't really notice it either with any of the NPCs. Sometimes that is the case in some games where maybe the main character looks fine, but the other characters that are running around you are like, man, they, they look kind of goofy. But I did not get that vibe at all in this game. And I mean, to be honest, there are very few times that you're with and around other characters because the whole point of this game is to scare you. And it's not as scary when you have other characters with you, even if they are AI controlled, it's still just something about being by yourself and exploring the dark hallways of the Ishimura. It just it wouldn't be the same if you had people with you the whole time. So definitely did a great job with animations as well, facial expressions, lip syncing was excellent. Didn't really notice any hiccups there as well. So character models from a visual standpoint to an animation standpoint, I mean just top notch. Really great job by EA Motive. As we move on past the character models, we move into looking at what the environments look like. Obviously, the main predominant environment, 95% of the game's environment, is going to take place, obviously, and consist of the USG Ishimura. And this ship is a massive ship. So don't think it's just a, you know, a, a cargo ship that's just kind of making its way. No, this is a massive ship. And I mean, it's a planet cracker. So you obviously got to be a pretty hefty sized ship in order to be able to support the power needed to crack a planet. So there is an actual living city, if you will, in a way, almost on this ship. I mean, it's that big. Granted, don't get me wrong, it's not wide open spaces or anything like that, but there are massive areas and massive zero-G ducts that you have to go through and work your way around. And let me tell you, EA Motive spared no expense and wasted no time and no detail left unturned in developing and designing these environments. I mean, they're just absolutely gorgeous. The disgusting muck is what I'll call it uh, that's all over the place. Uh, based on the Leviathan creature that you'll meet as you explore the Ishimura. I mean, the Leviathan's tendrils and just muck is, is all over the Ishimura on all the different levels and all the different areas that you travel to via tram. I mean, 
yeah, of course, there's areas that you're not going to see it in. But man, when you do see it, it just adds to the level of detail in those areas. All the different messages that people have written on the walls, either in their own blood or in chalk or paint or whatever the case may be. Lots of really cool glyphs and, you know, markers that have been uh, the, the marker itself, the relic that had been drawn onto the walls and tables and different areas in the environments that you're going to explore. And just the level of detail of the different consoles and desks and things on top of them. And then the barracks where you look in people's rooms and you see where they sleep in. And there's creepy baby dolls in there. And there's all kinds of other th- headphones or a book or just it's different things like that that really bring the environments alive. And there was no shortage of different varieties of environments too within the ship it's not just these dark hallways and metallic floors and ceilings there were different areas where they had a vegetable habitat and you could actually they had sound effects going as if it were outside like insects and crickets and things like that but you go through and you see these different jungle type uh, rooms that were you know climate controlled to grow vegetables and things like that and then of course you obviously have different test experimentation rooms there's hidden rooms i mean just the details within all of them were excellent you get to see some of the more cultish type stuff as well from the unitologists that were on board and that stuff is creepy as well i mean you just can't get past the levels of detail that uh, ea motive went to when designing these environments And you can tell that they had a lot of fun doing it. I feel like they really, really enjoyed, man, what can we add in this room? Or what can we put in this hallway? And to really sell and accentuate the amazingness of the visuals of the environments in the game, the lighting is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, when you go into a dark hallway and there's this blinking, flashing white light and all you can see is just the smoke and the steam that is ahead of you and interspersed within the flashing of the white lights, you might see an enemy, a necromorph, coming at you out of the shadows or dart across the hallway uh, at the intersection from one side to the next and man it just builds that tension it is so so well done and now that we've talked about the characters and their environments they're exploring in the other big visual piece to this game in my opinion i've got to talk about the necromorphs because these are the enemy types that you'll see in the game and you (laughs) you are going to see a lot of them they are very plentiful no shortage of enemies to interact with and and either run away from or try to take them out. And man, they are there is so much variety in the enemy types. And it's one thing I loved about the original game and they translate and update the visuals for these enemies and the necromorphs as a whole so well in this remake. I mean, you have your basic necromorph that I'm sure everybody has seen where it's a humanoid figure with these big spikes and and coming out of their backs. Uh, over their shoulders and I mean outside of those guys there is so much more to see in this game you got the little crawling babies that are freaky looking that have three little things that shoot out of their back of their heads that'll shoot acid buds at you and then you have the terrifying almost crocodile with arms kind of looking creatures that have a long tail with a spike on it and they can lunge and jump at you and crawl up the walls and ceilings and Oh, man, the list goes on. I mean, there's hunters. There are massive behemoth uh, creatures that will chase you down. um, And they all have a different type of attack that they come at you with. So their animations and their visuals and everything like that that are tied to the type of enemy they are, it's just great. And I loved coming across a new enemy type. There was one that was really, really freaky. Every time I saw one, it almost looked like an alien. If you're a Star Wars fan, 
you'll know what I'm talking about when I say a Cato Nemoidian. And what those aliens are, if you are not that deep into Star Wars, think about the really tall, slender aliens that in Attack of the Clones, Obi-Wan meets on Kamino, and those are the alien race that is creating the clones for the Empire. So if you know what I'm talking about, then you can picture those, but they're very much that tall and extremely, like, they're just basically muscle tissue, and it's just insanely creepy, and they walk towards you with a certain gait that is just terrifying to me. (laughs) In in the moment, if you see, when you see it, especially the first time you encounter them, it was just one, but I was like, oh my god, please kill this thing, please kill this thing. Uh, And of course, the visuals, you gotta mention the dismemberment of the limbs, because that is a huge part of the game, and I mean, it's just done really well. Visually, I mean, ripping off limbs that are dangling or shooting off the limbs with your plasma cutter, I mean, it's all done excellently well, and I just can't talk enough about how much I love the visuals in this game. But we're also talking about sound. So when we talk about the sound, obviously, when we go back to the characters, I felt like they had a great cast that was providing the voices and the voice acting for each character in the game. And I don't don't really have anything to complain about when it comes to the voice acting. I thought every character sounded great and fit their character design. And when it came to the monster sounds and the necromorph sounds, I thought all of those came through really well and were pretty terrifying, as they should be. But I would say the main thing in any horror game that you really want to look at from a sound standpoint is got to be the music and the sound effects. And EA Motive knocks both out of the park. I mean, again, you're going to have very quiet moments where all you hear are the sound effects. And there's just something in this game about the sound of what you know is necromorphs of some sort scurrying through the ventilation ducts around you. Because you know, you see a spinning fan in front of you, a slow spinning fan, just kind of like the air conditioning or whatnot. And you know that those at any point in the ship are access points for necromorphs to pop out of at any given time. Thing is, they don't always pop out of there. So if you're sitting there and you're going down a hallway and you hear that sound of just something scrambling all over the place and all around you in the ventilation ducts. Oh man, is it going to pop out? Is it not going to pop out? Because again, doesn't always happen. So that definitely helps build the tension. And not just that, I mean, you hear certain sound effects. Each necromorph has a distinguishable sound to it. So you can kind of, in some ways, know which enemies you're dealing with or which enemy types are near you. Because the more you play into the game, you're going to have multiple enemy types coming at you at the same time. So at least for me, it helped me kind of distinguish which enemy and which direction I wanted to face first. Because some enemies, when you get into that situation, you're going to want to take out certain ones before others in a firefight. So it just, it, it was a lot of good stuff going on when it came to the Necromorph sound effects, the environmental sound effects I mentioned earlier about exp- the one area with all the vegetation that was growing and whatnot. That was great with the sound of the insects and just feeling like you were outside for a minute. The zero G areas are also really well done because even though it's like a vacuum, so all the sound is muffled, it's done in such a way that it feels so realistic when you're experiencing it. And I just love the way that it came through and execution. Now, when you talk about the music, though, the music, oh, man, it is so good. I talked about the really cool kind of epic sounding trumpets that play as you are stepping out or Isaac is stepping out of the shop with an updated rig. It's also the same kind of trumpet sounds that it's kind of a cool pat on the back 
audibly, in my opinion, when you complete a chapter and it's the same kind of trumpet sound that plays and just the other tense, terrifying moments throughout the course of the game. I mean, they're just expertly done. And I honestly couldn't think of a better orchestral score to have for the game. I just that they fit the right moments and everything was just really, really well done across the board as far as graphics and sound are concerned in the game. But when it comes to sound, Anytime I play on the PS5, I have the 3D Pulse headset, and I like to use this next segment as a way to ask, if you are playing the game, does it make a difference for you to play using the 3D Pulse headset? Is there a 3D Pulse effect, or does it make any difference at all? Is there no effect at all? Let's find out. When it comes to using the 3D Pulse headset in a game like Dead Space, it doesn't get any better. And the reason why I say this is because, obviously, we all know that Dead Space is a survival horror game. And as I just discussed, sound plays a massive role in any survival horror experience. But when you have the 3D spatial audio that the 3D Pulse headset has... Man, it just adds to that experience exponentially. And I got to tell you, it was, I'm going to <laughs> go right out and say it, it was an absolute massive effect that the 3D Pulse had on my experience. Those ventilation duct moments that I was talking about where necromorphs are running around through the ducts and you can hear them and you don't know where they might be coming from, well, that directional audio, man, it, it can kind of lend you to understand or know where they might be coming from. But outside of those ventilation duct scenarios, there's also many other scenarios that were just really nail-biting and unnerving. When you are walking through a dark corridor and all you hear in the distance is the wailing moan of one of the wall necromorphs, is what I'll call them, which are unfortunate beings that have been uh, almost in a way glued to the wall by this muck is what I'll reference to kind of like it looks like the same muck that the Leviathan creates but they're literally attached to the wall and these tendrils burst out of their chest and they can sprout other different tendrils that are on the ground that can throw things at you bottom line is before you get to them you actually hear them wailing and moaning and there are also these other creatures that have just specific sounds to them Man, it just doesn't get any better than hearing it and experiencing it with that headset on. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're playing on a dark night in a dimly lit room or a completely dark room and you just have that headset and you and the controller and the TV, whoo, the absolute best way to experience dead space. So to reiterate, does wearing the 3D Pulse headset have a massive effect or no effect at all on your experience? An absolutely massive effect is felt when wearing these. Now, let's go check out the game's controls. Dead Space is a third-person survival horror experience, which is controlled via dual analog control. And that left analog stick, of course, is going to control Isaac Clarke as he navigates the corridors of the Ishimura. And to help you better see and navigate those corridors, the right analog stick is what you'll use in order to control the camera. Now, as far as character movement is where I'll start here, I didn't have any issues whatsoever with Isaac. I mean, the guy at a base pace moves perfectly as far as when you're wanting to explore and just kind of take in the scenery and the ambience and the, the horror of what you're experiencing. 
And if you want to speed things up, you'll click in that left analog stick and he'll definitely go into a sprint mode, which you will definitely be using multiple times as your journey through the Ishimura takes you through many instances where you're going to need to get out of the way very quickly. Now, when it comes to interacting with the environment and picking up objects and opening chests and uh, foot lockers and things like that, very, very fluid, never had really any resistance or stuttering or not responding to my button prompt pushes. So I didn't really have any issues with interacting with the environment, picking up logs and audio logs and whatnot. When it came to gunplay, I will say the gunplay was very, very smooth. I thought it was done extremely well. Obviously, like any game, you're going to ready your weapon with the L2 button and fire with the R2 button. There is a secondary fire once you upgrade the different uh, special features for each weapon. If you find those schematics for the upgrades and then purchase them in the shop, you can therefore use that R1 button for a secondary fire, which could be anywhere from using remote proximity mines that you can fire to firing grenades on one weapon, a pulse rifle, which is typically kind of like an assault rifle uh, style gun. So, so on and so forth. But the other aspect of the combat here is not just the weapons, but you also have some melee, which if you're just walking around and exploring and you don't have the L2 button pressed in to ready your weapon, you press R1 and Isaac will swing his arm and basically pistol whip enemies, which is actually a pretty decent move to have in a tight spot because I use that option more than once. Plus, there are some other, not the same wall enemies that I talked about in the last segment, but there are m multiple types of wall enemies. And the one type, they don't really attack you outside of just try to reach out and grab you and kind of flail their arms at you. They will take damage off of you, but if you get them first, you can take them out with a couple of pistol whips. Now, the other option that you have is the curb stomp. And this thing was... It was obviously, I would say, probably Gears of War that really popularized the curb stomp and gaming, but Dead Space definitely took that to another level and continued that tradition with its original game and then therefore the series afterwards. So R2 is what you're going to use to curb stomp enemies when they're either crawling at you on the ground, their last gasps of life and trying to get to you and infect you, or the, the absolute key to this game, I will tell you, with saving credits and just survival in general, every killed enemy, make sure to always go up to their bodies and curb stomp them using that R2 button because they always, every single one of them, every single one, 100% of them have item drops. It could be med kits. It could be ammo. Any number of things they could drop. Always, every aspect of those drops, every one of them is always a valuable thing to have. You always want more. And if they're free and you don't have to buy them at the shop, again, saves you credits for potential schematic purchases and upgrade purchases, whatnot, in the future. So those are the different options as far as combat. The final thing I would say about weapons and combat is you use the D-pad as the way to switch between your weapons. So up, down, left, right, you can actually designate a specific weapon of whatever your choice may be to each direction. And I love that because... There's much more than just four weapons in the game, so the way I played it is if I would run out of ammo and one weapon that I had equipped, 
I would obviously swap that out for another weapon that I've been building a backup or a backlog of ammo for the whole time. And it was just very easy and fluid. You just go into the inventory system, choose the weapon, and it'll have you the option to equip, and you choose which direction on the D-pad you want to move it over to or designate it to. So very easy, very seamless, and a, a very quick way to transition and swap weapons mid-combat. Because trust me, there will be moments where you were in a firefight and you're going to have to switch from one weapon to another. So to have it designated to the D-pad I thought was great. Now speaking of menu navigation and when you want to access your inventory and the weapons and healing items and different stasis modules that increase your stasis counter or refill it as well as oxygen tanks that you can refill your oxygen level when you're out in the vacuum and there's no oxygen all these different things are accessed by pressing the touchpad on the dual sense controller and it'll immediately bring up uh it basically comes from your rig and that's what i loved about the design of dead space one of the things i loved is the fact that everything is kind of natural within the game meaning that something like your inventory system it's basically an extension or already a feature of isaac's rig as well as the communications with your other crew members it's it's all coming from the rig so there's so much more to that rig than just being a cool looking outfit for isaac clark to wear but accessing these different options within that menu system once you get in there after using the touchpad to bring up everything you can scroll left or right using the l1 and r1 buttons to go to different tabs and they can bring you to it'll automatically bring you up to your inventory screen or you can hold down the touchpad and it'll automatically bring you to the map now when you navigate left or right with the l1 and r1 buttons there are different tabs that indicate say audio logs all the logs actually for each chapter are split up by chapter which i thought was awesome because then you could look back and see which ones you maybe were missing because it'll show you which ones are not found. So I love that. I thought that was great. You can kind of keep an eye on where these audio logs or text logs would have popped up and give you an idea of where at on the Ishimura you might be able to go back to and find them if you miss them based on where these different areas opened up. So I thought it was really great navigation. It didn't really uh, have any issues to speak of in my opinion. And I got to tell you, my favorite part, though, was actually the map navigation. I absolutely loved the map navigation in this game. It was just really well done. And, I mean, you, once you get in there, you can zoom in, zoom out, use the D-pad to go scroll up and down uh, the direction of the map. I mean, it was just really well laid out and really well done and easy to navigate. So when we go into the rest of the controls, one thing I want to talk about is the dual sense difference is what I call it. And whether or not there is a dual sense difference. So when I play a game on PS5, I always do a segment discussing the specifics of what the dual sense brings to that game's experience. So here we are, Dead Space, played on the PS5. Is there a dual sense difference? Let's go find out. <laughs> When we look for a dual sense difference that playing Dead Space on a PS5 may provide, a few things I take into consideration. So one, obviously there are different functions that were on the PS4 that also function on the PS5's dual sense, like the touchpad, the speaker. So when it comes to that, or motion sensing, if the game utilizes those features, I don't necessarily consider those the dual sense difference. I'm looking at the haptic feedback, the adaptive triggers, how are they used, and how immersive is the vibrations and the subtlety of those vibrations. So when we look at Dead Space, 
I absolutely loved what EA Motive did with the Dual Sense. Obviously, yes, you do have different sound effects coming through the speakers. I absolutely loved the sound effects in this game. And I can't speak to them enough. I mean, they are very, what I would consider classic sound effects that are immediately recognizable for the Dead Space series. And say, for instance, what I mean is when you're picking up items or when you're using a health pack, these sound effects are very much, oh, that's, that's unique to Dead Space. And these sounds came not only through the headset or the TV, whichever you were playing on, but also come through the speaker on the DualSense. So there was that aspect. There was also different other sounds that would come through that I'll leave for you to explore and enjoy on your own and have some surprises for you there when you play the game. But in addition to that, I mean, obviously, I mentioned the touchpad. You press that to bring up the menu system, but that doesn't really do a whole lot. Ultimately, when it comes down to the haptic feedback and the adaptive triggers, that's the key here, as I stated. So like a lot of games have done anymore with the dual sense, that haptic feedback and those adaptive triggers, they do adapt and change and do feel different depending on what weapon you're using. So each weapon, of which, again, there are many, they each feel differently when you are readying the weapon with L2, when you're firing the weapon with R2 or the secondary fire option with R1. There's just definitely different feelings to each weapon. I love that. And after a while with the game, you kind of get an understanding or a recognition of the feeling of a certain weapon. So I thought that was really cool. And then when it comes to the vibrations, I mean, the vibrations were excellent. Just the different explosions that would happen around you or different moments when you get attacked by a necromorph and they're they're chomping away at you. You got to mash on the X button to break away from them. Or if there's different, even just moments with the different weapons firing. It's not just the haptic feedback or the adaptive triggers, but it's also the intensity of the vibrations within the dual sense. And sometimes those subtle vibrations are what really separate the experience apart from others. Now, I will say that when it comes to fire and different things like that, if, if Isaac gets caught on fire or things, there, there are different minor things that happen throughout the game that definitely utilize the dual sense controller. So ultimately, when it comes to, is there a dual sense difference? Will you get a, a, a much better, different experience playing on a ps5 than you would say on a ps4 or an xbox honestly i wouldn't really say so sure the weapons feel differently with the haptic feedback and adaptive triggers but other than that i didn't really think that there was a whole lot else that set it apart from mostly the ps4 version because again the speakers and different things like that the sounds that come through the speaker that is something that you can get on a ps4 and Outside of the subtle vibrations and things like that, which I thought were really good, I still felt like it wasn't that much of a difference to really set it apart and make something like truly like, holy cow, this is the only way I can experience this game is with a dual sense. But it was still a very fun and enjoyable experience. So now let's talk about all the details that come with Dead Space's gameplay. As we've been discussing about Dead Space, it is a third-person survival horror action game, and as such, it does bring with it a certain level of expectation of gameplay styles and tropes that we've all become accustomed to when it comes to playing a survival horror game. Namely, survival based on resource management and inventory space management. Those are definitely on play here in Dead Space, but before getting into the details of those 
I want to talk about world exploration and what you can expect there. So obviously the world in this game is the USG Ishimura, the ship, the planet cracker that most people, if you played Dead Space or have heard of Dead Space, you probably have heard of the Ishimura. Well, as far as the game world is concerned, I absolutely loved exploring the Ishimura. As we talked about already, it's very extremely finely detailed within its visuals and just the richness of the environment and the sense of being alive and just kind of enrapturing me as I explored and walked its empty, echoing halls. It was just an awesome experience. And as you go through and you explore, you're going to find resources along the way, whether they're in foot lockers or standing tall lockers lying loose on the floor or again curb stomping enemies to get those item drops and those items range anywhere from med kits to ammo to audio logs to new schematics for upgrades to your rig and weapons i mean there's all kinds of item pickups that you have at your access and disposal within this game world and it's not just about necessarily going from item pickup to item pickup but it's also there are some puzzles that you find along the way that you might have to figure out how to navigate a certain area that's in zero g and how to align certain routers and different cableways to connect this giant massive relay of power and there's just a lot of really cool moments in the game that are very unique and could only be done within the context of this style of game and i loved it and as you go through when you're exploring and you're picking up these resources as mentioned you only have so many spaces within your inventory to carry but so many items so the thing that the game does really well is it does allow you access to somewhere to store any excess items that you may not want to use. And the way that the game does this is set up nicely within what is called a shop in the game. It's basically a kiosk that you'll come across numerous, uh, and, and most of them are at certain points that are very well placed within the game design and, and the map design. Usually a lot of times they can be found next to a save point as well, which is awesome because if you're like me, you may want to save before you sell or buy certain things from the shop. And if you realize after the fact that you didn't want to do that, oh, let me reload that save file real quick. So it makes it real nice and easy and compact and right there for you. But the shop, I absolutely loved it in this game. I felt like it had everything that I would need or the accessibility of it was perfect. You essentially just walk up, interact with the kiosk, and those tabs with L1 and R1 that you can switch between is purchase items, sell items from your own inventory, or move items from your inventory into storage or vice versa. So again, if you're coming into a situation where you have 5,000 different flamethrower rounds and you're not using the flamethrower as much, then obviously you can move those over to storage, free up some slots on your inventory space. And as I mentioned earlier, there are schematics that you can find throughout the world that'll upgrade your rig and give you a little bit more slots for inventory items. So that's also a plus because that doesn't always happen in survival horror games. Sometimes you're just kind of stuck with what you start out with. Thankfully, that was not the case here with Dead Space. And when it comes to actually selling items, I felt like there was a pretty fair trade value for what you were selling. And there were a couple of times where I had an excess of a certain type of ammo or uh, I didn't really use the oxygen tanks, to be honest with you, because I upgraded my rig enough to where the oxygen that I kept on hand was enough for me to get through certain areas, so I would sell off the oxygen tanks. And regardless of what you sell, there's a pretty decent market value for it, I felt like, within the shop. And there was a few times where I needed to sell off a few things that I didn't really use in order to maybe, oh man, I'm in a really tight spot with health, I don't have any health packs, I need to buy some, but I don't have enough credits. 
And there you go. Credits are the currency within the game world, and you can find those as well as one of the mostly obtainable pickups that you'll find throughout the course of the game. And I, I really did love the fact that there were a plentiful amount of credits. I, there were very few moments did I ever get to that point where I had to sell off some items to get enough credits to buy a, a med kit that I maybe wanted or something of that nature. But I felt like the game was really well done in providing you with what you needed. I, I felt that it was just a bit more than what you necessarily needed to survive, but in case you miss some of the excess, there was still enough there for you to kind of just get by. So I, I thought that that was very well as far as from a design standpoint. I did play on the medium difficulty level, so I will stress that. If you're playing on a higher difficulty level, you'll obviously have less resources to pick up. If you're playing on a lower difficulty level, there'll be obviously more for you to pick up. But on medium difficulty, I thought it was perfectly balanced and just enough there for you to be able to enjoy the game and not get into a situation where you're out of ammo with no options or out of credits with no options. There's always something to sell or something to purchase if they're not being uh, dropped by enemies when you curb stomp them or just in footlockers or other places around the Isham Mura. So there's a big part there as far as the world commerce, if you will, tied into that shop, that one little shop kiosk that spread throughout the Ishimura in many different locations, comes in very, very handy. I will say I didn't like the fact that even once you find the schematics for a new upgrade to a weapon or something of that nature, you have to still purchase what the schematic creates. This new schematic, I feel like I should be able to just apply it to whatever weapon it may be. But that was not the case. So not a deal breaker, but just something that I felt like was a little bit maybe too aggressive on EA Motive's part. But when it comes to moving past world exploration, obviously during that world exploration, you're going to have many enemies that come at you and there's plenty of jump scares, tension building moments. I mean, man, there's just, it's, it's expertly done and there's a lot of fun to be had with it. But when you get into those moments of combat, that's the other huge part of this game is the combat. Because I would say more so than most survival horror games, I would say there's a lot more action here than, say, in a Resident Evil game or a Silent Hill game. It's definitely more action, but not too much action to where it overtakes or takes away from this, the survival horror or the horror aspect of it. Like I would say, in my personal opinion, Resident Evil 6 did or even Resident Evil 5. I feel like they have just enough balance and it makes just enough sense to where I never felt like at any point in time, oh, this is just an action game. And it's really well done. Again, there is a, a, a great variety of weapons to choose from. Usually, depending on the, any scenario, you have a weapon that's preferable for any given scenario, whether it's looking for taking out an enemy from a distance with the plasma cutter, the pulse rifle, or if you get a cluster of enemies towards you, my favorite personal weapon was the force gun, which is a massive, just concussive wave that blasts out from the gun. And as you upgrade that thing, boy, I tell you, it is absolutely a powerful weapon and not something to sleep on and it was also really cool visually because most of the necromorphs they take two to three hits with the force gun and as that blast that concussion is going out what was really cool about it to me was you would see a layer of skin <laughs> come off of the necromorphs that first blast boom skin gone melted away the second blast boom muscle tissue gone just kind of a skeletal remnant 
And if they weren't dead, then, you know, one final blast would just kind of break them apart. So it was just a really cool weapon to use. One of my favorites, arguably. My favorite weapon was the Pulse Rifle, though. I have to say that I absolutely loved the Pulse Rifle. I usually always tried to make sure I had a healthy stock of ammo for it. The alternate fire of the grenade launcher is awesome and great to use in a firefight where there's multiple necromorphs coming at you or bigger enemies that take a little bit longer to go down otherwise. So definitely don't sleep on the secondary fire. Once you get those upgrades and you can upgrade them, is the next step of the gameplay journey here that we're going to talk about at a workbench. And these benches are honestly not as plentiful as I would have liked them to be. It seemed like they were in that they were definitely a much fewer supply than say a shop or save points, but so cuz sometimes there would be just a, a massive amount of time I felt would go by without coming across one and I would be sitting on in my inventory, man I got these new schematics for these upgrades or I got the new rig upgrade, I really want to put that into effect and I can't because there's no nearby bench and I'm going to have to travel all the way out of my way to get to a bench or hope that as I continue progressing forward there's one nearby. So I, I did wish that there was a few more benches scattered throughout the Ishimura than there were. But at a bench, that is obviously where you go to upgrade your rig or any of the weapons that you have in your possession. And you do these upgrades with nodes. And nodes can be found, they are dropped by the bigger brute type enemies, as well as mostly found little containers on the wall that, I mean, you know, once you get the first couple of nodes out of these containers, you'll recognize them as, oh, okay, cool. I see it in the room. There's a node in there. I get me a new node. This is awesome. And there was actually quite a few of those throughout the course of the game that I came across. And there was... Let me just say that nodes are plentiful, so don't ever worry about running out of or not having enough nodes to do pretty much anything you want to do. And the game does a good job and has an, a great option of being able to respec all the nodes and redistribute them as you see fit. Now, it does cost you credits. You will have to pay a fee, and that varies depending on what exactly you're trying to respec. But I did like the fact that the option is there for that. And another thing I did like the developer chose to do is when you do have upgrades and you bring them to the bench, the bench is then converting that upgrade into a power node. So you gain a power node for every upgrade that you bring back to the bench. So there, And then you can also purchase them for 10,000 credits at the store. I tried to save my credits for other things like health or ammo or the upgrades. But if, I mean, I ain't gonna lie, there were a few power nodes that I did buy over the course of my play. And... At the end of the day, unless you're you're not going to be able to, let me just say this, get every single weapon upgraded throughout the course of one play. It's not possible. So you're going to have to do a new game plus if you want to try to max out everything or pay to respec certain weapons that you use less than others to try out some of the upgrades on other weapons. But the options are all there for you, and I thought they were really well done. And when it comes to using the navigation that is available to you via the map in the game, I thought that it was awesomely done like once i got it once i understood how it was laid out and how to really truly navigate it i really enjoyed the map they had on hand here as i had said earlier you can hold down the touchpad to bring up the map and then once you're in there you have all kinds of different options you can press triangle to bring up the different floors if it's a multi-floored area or environment and you can go up and down obviously to which floor you want to look at everything is distinguishable and notified and designated on the map like the there's certain rooms that you have to have certain levels of security clearance to access and it'll show you on the map 
what security level you need in order to get into that room. And they also designate which hallways or rooms that you've already explored by having them filled in if you've explored them or not filled in if you haven't yet explored them. So I really enjoyed that. And it also has what I call the GPS line that if you have an objective that is marked as your next objective, it'll show you on that map the direction that you want to take. So you can kind of look ahead and go ahead and see which doors you have to enter through and which hallways to take and things like that. So they had it really well laid out, in my opinion, and just absolutely loved the design of the map in this game. And honestly, I felt like the combat in the game really was not an issue. I thought it was really well done. I never felt like they overwhelmed you to a point of frustration in any point in the game. Don't get me wrong. There are many moments where you're going to have multiple enemies coming at you from multiple directions. And that's the whole point of it is to kind of get you off-centered and, and off-balance and kind of freaking out in the moment. And that can and still probably will happen. But don't freak out over it. It's very manageable to get out of these situations if you just kind of stay patient and calm with it and utilize what weapons you have at your disposal, especially when it comes to stasis and kinesis. Now, these are two huge aspects of the gameplay that I loved of the original Dead Space that I thought helped make Dead Space such a unique experience. So when we talk about stasis, stasis is basically... Uh, an ability that you have that is tracked by a gauge on the back of Isaac's suit or rig. And it comes up and it shows in like a, a blue half circle, if you will. And what happens is basically he shoots out this ball of energy in a sense, and it extremely slows down whatever oncoming enemy is, is running at you or crawling towards you. Uh, it doesn't completely stop them in their tracks, but it slows them down to just about <laughs> where they're not moving at all. And it allows you to do a lot of different things. I mean, obviously, it allows you time to get away if you need to. Or it also allows you time to, if you're trying to dismember them and maybe in a basic necromorph, shoot off their spike and then impale that necromorph with the spike using uh, kinesis. I mean, there's just so many different options that you can use. But stasis is an absolutely valuable tool. Uh, at your disposal that you can use throughout the course of the game. There are different doorways that you can't get past because they may be moving too fast for you. you got to use stasis to slow them down so you can get through. There's different puzzle elements that require stasis. There's all kinds of stuff that stasis is really used for in the game, and I felt like it was all done excellently well. It was just a lot of fun, and again, as to the uniqueness of the experience that is Dead Space. Now, when we talk about kinesis, kinesis is obviously short for telekinesis, but you think about it and it's essentially, you have the ability to pick up things and launch them at enemies, whether it's a an explosive bomb or any another spike that you've dismembered from another necromorph, you want to impale them to a wall, that is, <laughs> there's nothing quite like that. It's a lot of fun, trust me. So you can use it for so many different things. It's also used for puzzle purposes as well. You can move crates around and use all kinds of different purposes for kinesis and zero G, which is another aspect of gameplay that sets Dead Space apart. When you go into these zero G spots, and there's, there's designated areas where you go into zero G, you can press on the PS5, the L1 and R1 buttons, and Isaac will take off and kind of lift off. These little boosters on the back of your suit and boots, it allows you to move around with zero G. And obviously when you do these sequences, typically you can expect some 
puzzle elements that come along with that, but there's also some exploration and some enemy encounters that you can and, and expect to be involved in. There's just a lot going on when it comes to Zero G as well. Keep an eye out for one sequence a little bit later into the game where you actually go into a zero-G basketball area and you can, in fact, get a trophy or an achievement for scoring the high score in the zero-G basketball game, which I thought was awesome because that's a callback to the original Dead Space, which also had the same achievement and or trophy. So zero-G is a lot of fun, and I think, it, it for me at least, it gives me very solid confidence in what EA Motive is going to be able to do with the Iron Man game, which is what they're doing next and working on currently. Because that's all I could think about when I'm floating and flying around as Isaac Clark and Zero G is like, oh man, this is kind of like their prototype probably for what they're going to use for the mechanics for Iron Man flying around in that game. And if that's the case, I got to say, if you're worried gamers, don't because we are in good hands with EA Motive. So expertly controlled and zero g a lot of fun puzzles enemies exploration it's all there in all aspects of these different gameplay types or or different uniquenesses that dead space has that no other game like it has or does to the level of quality that dead space does so when you look at all of these factors the exploration of the ishimura the combat that you have with the necromorphs the exploration in zero g the puzzle elements, stasis, kinesis. I mean, there's just a lot here and it's just a lot of gameplay, a lot of variety, and it keeps the game fresh throughout the entire playthrough. At least for me, it did. So I absolutely loved everything that Dead Space had to offer from a gameplay standpoint. Now let's go check out the ship's chronometer and see how long it took me to beat the game, as well as how long it may take you to beat the game based on your play style. As we look at the ship's chronometer, we see that I actually spent a total of 28 hours playing through Dead Space from start to finish. So from the point that I landed on the Ishimura to the point that the credits rolled for me, 28 hours total is what I spent in my time within the game. Now, I will say I am very thorough and sometimes overly so in my exploration in any game world. And I just absolutely absorbed every single aspect of this game. I was a massive fan of the first game, so I spent just every little ounce of time that I could trying to take in everything in the environments of the Ishimura and reading all the text logs and listening to all the audio logs and just really enjoying my time there on that ship. And there are 12 chapters, so each chapter was a little over two hours is what it took me. Now, I will say that's the average. There are some chapters that I completed in less than two hours. There was at least one chapter I spent just over three hours playing through. And it really it's really based on your play style. So for me, it was 28 hours. But for you, any other gamer, it's probably, if you're looking at just going through the story and not really doing any of the side quests or hunting down collectibles or power nodes or trying to open up every single security locked door, I would say you're, you'll probably be able to beat the game anywhere from 12 to 15 hours, you know, roughly an hour or a little over an hour per chapter. Now, if you want to add a little bit of exploration to that, then I could probably see you playing anywhere from 15 to 20 hours before you see those credits roll. But if you are a true completionist and you are looking to get the Platinum Trophy on PlayStation or all 1000G on the Xbox, you're going to need to play the game two or three times in order for that to happen. And therefore, I will go out there and say that you're probably going to end up putting a solid 30-ish hours into this game to get 
all 1000G and that Platinum. And the reason I say two or three playthroughs, if you are trying to go for completing that Platinum in 1000G, then you got to play through on New Game Plus. And unless you play through on your initial playthrough on the hard difficulty level, you're not going to unlock Impossible Mode. And there is also a trophy for completing the game on Impossible Mode. Now, ideally, if you want to limit your amount of playthroughs, play through the game the first time on Hard, unlock Impossible Mode, play through Impossible Mode on New Game Plus. Probably make it a lot easier of an experience. But that's up to you. If you want to deal with the potential frustration going through that first time, instead of, for me at least, I I opted to want to enjoy the game and just not let the trophies dictate how I played. But if you're looking for that completionist, time, I would say you're probably looking at roughly 30-ish hours or so. Now, let's go check out my final thoughts and review score. When I look back at the Dead Space remake as the whole package, what all it offered me, what I got out of it, I gotta say that I am extremely satisfied with the 28 hours that I spent back on the Ishimura after all these years. You know, from a remake standpoint, this is the gold standard, in my opinion. And I got to say that I think they took what the example was in the Resident Evil 2 remake, which, in my opinion, at the time, that was the gold standard for remakes. And I think that they took that and ran with it. EA Motive, the developer, did for Dead Space and just really made it into something even more special than that original game. They added in all the right places by giving Isaac Clarke a face and a voice. They added side quest objectives. They added more depth to the story and more discovery for you as the player as you explore the Ishimura. There is different functions with the DualSense controller and the next-gen aspects of the game that you could utilize. I mean, there is just so much here. And they treated the source material and the reverence for that first game with such respect and care. And it shows and the experience that you as a player get to have. And I just absolutely loved it. I mean, the story is still an awesome story. I absolutely loved it. And, you know, there's just so much more here than scary space monsters. Um, There is a story of psychology and the occultism and political aspects of things going on that are within the game world. I mean, there's just a lot going on here. And even at its base, and this is in the original game too, but at its base, that relationship and that love that Isaac Clark has for his wife, Nicole, and just all he wants is to make sure she's safe and to get away safe with her and be with her again. And that is kind of like the bittersweetness of the game is the whole time you're trying to get to her. And just you, you, there's always something there stopping you from being right there with her. And that's what I love about the story. And when you look at the gameplay and the tightness of it, the variety of it, the enemy types of the necromorphs, the, the just the fun that you can have taking apart these enemies, whether it's with kinesis and stasis, all the different types of guns and weapons that you have at your disposal. It's just a lot of fun is the best way I know how to describe it. And it was 28 hours to me that felt like half of that because it didn't even bother me uh, that I was spending 28 hours in the game that the original, I feel pretty confident I've beaten in roughly 10 hours or less, just under 10 hours. So an absolutely amazing experience. The gold standard for remakes going forward, in my opinion. And if I were to say there were anything negative about the game, I can't really honestly sit here and tell you or think of anything negative that I did not like 
about this game, except for the fact that they require you to purchase the upgrades for the weapons and the rig once you've found the schematics. I really do feel like you should just be able to find the schematics and take them to the bench. So outside of that, maybe there's a couple of different scenarios where off-screen enemies can be frustrating when they come at you and attack you. Overall, I would say not much else polish is really needed here, but I got to give the game a final score of a 9.75 out of 10. That'll do it for my review of Dead Space. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com. Search for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks, or find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming, as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.